I thought that I'd preached a pretty good sermon at the eight o'clock service, but after it was over, one of our members came to me and said during coffee hour, why didn't you talk about the gospel? I didn't understand any of that, that gospel reading. (laughs) So I want to begin this sermon by talking about why I'm not going to talk about the gospel reading. And it's, it's simple. It is all over the map. I, I think this gospel reading makes for a good Bible study, but not necessarily a good homily. Um, it would take too much unpacking. Plus, it's summer, and I always take summer as, as a permission for the preacher to talk about other things, get a little farther a little farther afield than we normally do throughout the liturgical year where everything's so fo- rightly focused. So I want to talk about the psalm. Psalm 69, or or this portion of the psalm, sounds um, a little less like a prayer that's comforting as in the 23rd psalm. It doesn't sound at all like my favorite psalm, which is Psalm 139, which is just, just, just lofty and gives you this sense of God's presence being with you wherever you may be. This psalm doesn't sound like any of that. It sounds more like a diary, a diary that we might, an entry that we might write um, in one of our weaker moments where we're really frustrated by the people around us and not just the people around us, generally speaking, but our own mother's children, our family is what we're so frustrated by in this psalm. The psalm essentially says, Lord, why in the world have you surrounded me with these people? We did a Bible study last Wednesday preparing for these lessons. We, you're always invited. It's at 10 a.m. in the library on Wednesdays. We look ahead to these lessons, what's upcoming with the, with the, um, in the sermon, in the, the lessons for the next Sunday. And we were looking at this psalm, and somebody in the class said just sort of spontaneously, this psalm to me sounds moany. And it does. It's just sort of some moaning and frustration, and, and I suspect that most of us have at least done that once in our lives. But the moany part, I don't think, is the most interesting part. I think the part that is most interesting for all of us is the moment in which the psalmist says, hide not your face from your servant. Be swift and answer me, for I am in distress. This is a moment of incredible authenticity and speaking directly to God and essentially saying, quit playing hide and go seek with me. This is not a game and it's not funny. Stop hiding from me. And that's the piece that I think is most interesting because it's a profound example of not talking about other people, the psalmist has finally stopped doing that, much less talking about God, but talking authentically and directly and boldly to God. That's interesting. Every Sunday, we actually, as best we can, try to do that in the prayers of the people. So now we've moved to what I really want to talk about, which is the prayers of the people. You following me? We're now done with the psalm, and we're a long way from that gospel reading. 
Every Sunday we, we, we try to do that. Now, Canon Broderick edits these prayers. He makes them poetic so that they don't sort of get stale. He, he ties them into the liturgical year or the biblical themes. All that's lovely. But the underlying pattern, the rhythm of these prayers actually never changes. We begin by praying and giving thanks for what is most close and personal to us. We begin by praying and giving thanks, for example, for anniversaries of birth, of marriage, of sobriety. We then shift to um, interceding, praying for the sick, the sick who are closest to us, whom we know by name. We pray for those who are searching for peace of mind or just a little more help in this world. And then the prayers get a little bit larger and we pray, we pray and give thanks for, for good things and sorrowful things in the world. We pray, for example, passionately for Ukraine. We pray passionately for world leaders whom we don't know, but we do know bear some responsibility for making this world more peaceful and fixing some of the messes that we're in. So our prayers get larger. We give thanks for the church. We pray for the church. If you imagine these prayers as a circle, the circle starts pretty small, but it just keeps getting larger and larger and larger and eventually includes prayers for the departed and not just the faithful departed, but those whose faith is known to God alone. And we're trying in all of it to speak directly and authentically to God. One of my favorite authors is um, an American who won a Pulitzer Prize named Annie Dillard. And, and she, she's wonderful. Um, she, she's often just really deep and intense. And I'm going to give you an example of that in a moment. If you were looking wanted one of her funnier books, and it's riveting and hilarious, her, her autobiography in American Childhood is wonderful. The book I'm about to tell you about is not exactly wonderful. It's, as we used to say in the South, or I used to say in the South, it's not beach reading. But in this book, Holy the Firm, which is really short, you can read it in one sitting, and you probably won't sleep that night. It's got some funny parts, but it's really about, it's actually really about human suffering. But she tells this story in the middle of it. She remembers when she was in at the Eucharist or the Mass, and I, I can't remember if it's a Catholic church or an Episcopal church, it really doesn't matter. And they made it to the prayers of the people. And they were praying the prayers of the people just like we do every Sunday, that list of, of uh, petitions and such. And it kept going on and on. And in the middle of those petitions, the, pray, the priest spontaneously just blurted out, and everybody heard him, the priest just blurted out, Lord, we bring you these same petitions every week. And Dillard says a, a shocked hush settled over the congregation until everybody finally recovered and then the lector just kept going. But that, that reminds me of this psalmist. Hide not your face from your servant. I need an answer and I need it quickly for I am in distress. The prayers of the people are an ancient and essential part of Holy Communion. And the great norm within the tradition, the, the norm within the great tradition of liturgy, 
although there are some exceptions, the great norm is that the prayers of the people are always in the vernacular, even when the rest of the liturgy is in Greek or Latin. The prayers are always in the vernacular, and they have to be. Why? Because they're your prayers. They're our prayers. We have to speak them in our own language. We have to say them in our own words. However poetic we can be, however raw we must be, we've got to get them in our words. I remember a, a, a shy and very funny Episcopalian who said to me once, I would rather die than praying out loud. I actually thought it was funny at the time. <laughs> um, and I, I know what she meant. And I actually happen to know, even though you didn't all laugh, many of you feel that way. But the pauses within the prayers of the people are an essential part too. We can pray the names you give us in advance, and we do that. You can always email me or tell us at the door, and we'll always name, add the names of your loved ones to the prayers. But the pauses are essential, too, so that in an unscripted way, in a spontaneous way, you can say what you need to say directly to God. And if it's too much to say it out loud, you know, say it silently within your own heart. But say it. It's essential. That's enough on how to pray. We, 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 we actually all know how to pray. As long as we don't get in our way, we know how to do this. So just one last thought on what these prayers are and what they're trying to do. There's a theologian and a literary scholar who, who's actually an Anglican priest that I, I love. He doesn't matter who he is. But, and he says what these prayers are. He says they are, are, are primarily an offering and not a request. An offering and not a request. And I actually think that's largely right. I, I know we've got our requests. Trust me, I know that. We do, and we try to be eloquent and change God's mind all the time. But there's something even perhaps deeper going on in these prayers. They really are an offering to God in which we are offering to God all that we are, all that we love, all that's nearest and dearest, especially people nearest and dearest to us. And that's why this offering, these prayers take place, is an essential part of this meal. And the meal is God's response and God's promise that our prayers are heard, felt, and understood. Our prayers are heard, felt, and understood in Christ and by Christ and with Christ as a part of this meal. So let's make our offering in the same way that we make our offering of bread and wine and gifts. Let's make our offering do the best we can to speak directly to God. After the creed, let's try to do that.